Will you join me in prayer? God, we come to you this morning full of things, full of stuff, full of the world. And those things are important and they are part of our lives, but we come to you right now in this moment so that you can quiet those things in our hearts. We offer them to you, we set them to you at the feet of your table. For this moment and this time, we ask that you fill us up with your words, that you send us out into the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke. We're going to be skipping around in the third chapter. And it goes like this. In the 15th year of the rule of the Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Atria and Trachonitis, and Licinius was ruler over Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scrolls of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son whom I love. In you I find happiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I've been sort of obsessed with those He Gets Us commercials. You know the ones I'm talking, if you watch a lot of sports, you have seen them because they've been everywhere. I've been sort of obsessed with these commercials. I don't know how I feel about them because every time I stop and I have to think, they make me think, and I don't want to think while I'm watching like the Browns game because I try not to pay too much attention. <laughs> and it makes me think. And um, it makes me pause for a moment to think about them. And if you haven't seen them, um, I want to share one with you. So, uh, this is just one I saw this weekend. There was a family. They played together and laughed together but they weren't completely alike. And as they grew older, their opinions widened and they distanced from each other. Conversations became heated. Reunions became more and more uncomfortable. They thought they were made for each other. Won't Thinking of one another Brother aligned against sister Never thinking just for one second Birthdays were ignored, gatherings stopped Because each had to be right We don't want them, oh no We don't want them, we don't want them We don't want them 
So you're watching the football game and all of a sudden that comes on, right? And it stops you for a moment because every one of us can identify with that in some way or the other, right? I spent a couple days with my family over Christmas and at one point I stood up out of the recliner and said, we're not talking about this and left the room, right? Because I love my family and I want to continue to love my family. And we can't talk about this. But the most important part of that commercial is the tagline. Jesus gets us, all of us. It reminds me of that song in the 90s. I'm going to age myself. There was a song in the 90s by Joan Osborne. And for one summer, back when you had to listen to whatever was on the radio and you couldn't just make your own playlist, right? There was one summer where every time we got in the car and every time we got out of the car, there was one song playing. You remember these days? And so every softball practice and every soccer practice and every trip to the beach and everything, we heard maybe like 900 times the song, um, What If God Was One of Us? Remember that song? What if God was one of us, right? And my mother would go into apoplectic rage every single time the song came on. The song would come on, what if God was one of us? And she would slam the radio off and say, he was one of us, that's the whole point. And then we weren't allowed to talk for a while. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is the only the kind of rage that a pastor goes into, right? <laughs> I don't normally slam songs off for bad theology in the car, but that one I would, because that's the whole point of the gospel, folks. You see, gods were running around the ancient Near East. They were running around, um, and most of the time, gods, as they were understood, were um, very distant. They were in the heavens. They were on top of a mountain. They were in the valleys somewhere far away. They were causing trouble in the world, but they were doing it somewhere else. So you burnt an offering so the smoke could get to God, because there was no way to get to God other than to lift your eyes to the heavens and hope. And Jesus comes along with a different story. It's a different story. It's of a God who chooses to get into it, who chooses to get into the world with the people, who chooses to invest God's self with the folks who are in the middle of all of the stuff that God's in charge of. It's pretty easy to be a God, I think, from a distance. I love to play SimCity, and I'm really big on the disasters. Like, what disaster can I send to my city today? Let's try a tornado so I can build new houses in this neighborhood, right? That's really fun. And that's the vision they had of God, these people. But that's not who God is in the form of Jesus. Jesus is a God who is in the mud with people. If that tornado is coming, Jesus is in the house when the tornado hits. The gospel goes to great trouble to tell us when and where Jesus lived. And no serious person any longer can challenge that Jesus was a real person with a real life, in a real place, in a real time. Jesus was in the life with his people. Jesus goes to be baptized, and we have sanitized baptism. Baptism is a thing where we, you know, we dress up with nice dresses and the family gathers around and we go to the font and all of this is very important. And we pour water that's been sanitized and warmed up so the baby doesn't cry. 
and we celebrate that moment, which is an important and valuable moment in the lives of our families, but this was not the baptism Jesus had. Jesus had to go to the Jordan River, and I don't know if you've been to the Jordan River, but it's not deep and wide like they say in the stories. It's muddy and gross. It's a dirty river. It wasn't sparkling clean. Jesus didn't go into a river and come out with water glistening off of his skin. This was a muddy, dirty place. John baptized people in this river and proclaimed to them repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It was messy and it was dirty and it was gross and it required something of people. Repent. Believe the good news of the gospel. And so the Jesus, who was a human being, who lived and walked on this earth, walked to the river and told John that he needed to be baptized. John argued with him a little bit, but eventually Jesus waded into the mud of that river and was baptized along with all of the other people who were standing in the river being baptized that day. There is no moment in Jesus' life where something important doesn't happen that there isn't a group of people surrounding him. Baptism to death. He walks into the dirty river and walks right back out just as dirty as he was before because it's a muddy, dirty river. And he goes into the world and preaches a gospel that says, I understand you. I understand what you're going through. I understand what your life is like. I understand the mess that life is because, folks, life is messy. It's messy and out of control and chaotic, and we don't have the control over it. We'd like to think that we have. It doesn't go on the path that we've determined, and none of it is sparkly and clean. Our life is a dirty river. It's muddy and it's messy, and there's a bunch of folks in it with us. Jesus says, I know what you are experiencing because I've walked those roads too. I have loved someone who I couldn't agree with. There's a point in Jesus' gospel ministry where Jesus' family decides that they're going to take him back home again because he's gotten that little out of control, <laughs> right? They think they know better than Jesus does how to live his life. Jesus has friends who are executed and arrested. He has had friends who are sick and die. He has had friends who have doubted him and distrusted him. He has had friends who openly to his face said, what are you doing? Where are you going? Jesus sat at table with 12, 11 folks that night before he was arrested, and every single one of those folks was messed up. They were messy and dirty. He dipped his hands into the cup with the one who was going to betray him and still welcomed him at the table. All of us have stuff. All of us are deep, deep in the mud. We all walk through this life dirty and messy and gross. But Jesus knows that. Jesus has been there. Jesus is continuing to walk through the mud. There's not two sets of footprints because we're walking in the middle of the mud, right? Jesus knows what you're going through. And if nothing else, we can remember that. We are not alone. That it's okay that our life isn't perfect. It's okay that we experience things and from time to time we are distrustful and doubtful. From time to time that we betray one another, that happens. It's part of our walk with God. 
Jesus is in the mud with you. And I can think of no better message, no better thing, no better way to understand who and what we are. We are the child of God whose hand is deeply in the hand of the one who walks through all of it with us. Jesus gets us, all of us. Amen.